Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network. You're listening to the Five Leadership Questions Podcast. I'm your host, Todd Atkins. And today I'm here with Chandler Benoy. Hey, hey. And also, this is our fourth attempt, I think, at recording this podcast. Um, we are here today with Tammy Hahn. And for listeners uh, who have been listening to podcasts for a while, she's been on several times. She has uh, been on stage with us at uh, Leadership Pipeline. She was there seven, no, eight years ago, maybe, um, when we were really um, ferreting out the framework and philosophy that underlies uh, Ministry Grid. So she's been through a lot with us, and we're so grateful to have her here today. And and speaking through being through a lot, um, uh, she has been in multiple leadership roles with uh, Thomas Nelson, but also uh, CEO of Borders Books. Uh, and currently she leads for a while now um, the Christian Leadership Alliance, which is um, really working to develop nonprofit uh, leaders and leadership within that space, Christian nonprofit. And so we're just delighted to have her here today and can't wait to hear her perspective on a few different things. So good to be with you all. And what a blessing it's been. It has been a long journey, Todd, but it's been amazing to see what God has done in the building of this pipeline and the good work and just the story upon story about churches that are raising up leaders and churches that are being planted and everything. So I praise God for that small beginning that now is having a huge impact in so many places. Well, you know, honestly, it's just a, a, a new strategy that's laid on top uh, an old, old story. And so, <laughs> you know, we recognize that that needs to happen uh, from time to time. And that's one of the things that we're, you know, really trying to help instill and in, install in churches. So uh, we're grateful for that opportunity. Well, one thing I would say about that, though, Todd, is, you know, there's the timeless truth of God's word. And then there is our ability to adapt to the containers that now allow that wisdom to transfer so that it can right. be received and be timely and relevant for future generations and current generations to build and innovate around. And so, again, I, I just applaud the effort, you know, for how it's impacted the kingdom. You know, one of the things I think is going to be interesting um, with COVID and post-COVID um, leadership culture, I think what's happening now is you're seeing so many people say everything has changed. Everything has changed, uh, you know, change or die, uh, all these different things. <clears throat> and there's a good bit of truth to that. I mean, you know, we, the last white paper I did was, was on leading change. However, it's also balancing that with the timeless truths, as you mentioned, and recognizing, hey, um, there's a lot of good things here that we want to be really careful about. Yes, we may um, shift some things, but we also need to remember, um, I don't know, like I, <clears throat> I'm starting to feel like... Um, all the language around pivoting, all the language around change, maybe 
we may be doing ourselves a disservice. Yes, there's a lot that we that we need to address, but there are some things that we may want to <laughs> we, we may want to um, consider before we just throw them out. Well, it's interesting. Um, there was um, a quote I heard the other day and it kind of summed it so much. It's like, if you think about it, people don't really fear change. I mean, we like to change. We like to grow. We like to expand our thinking in that. But, it, but at the heart of it, people don't fear change. They fear loss. That's true. And in change, there's often a loss of what was. Um, but I know that that's really shaped and changed my thinking of late about as we're going in and we're trying new things. So if we can put the context about change in the positive, you know, that this is just a way that we're progressing and that we're growing and we're expanding our thinking and we're being in creative and in crisis, being pushed to the place where we're thinking the unthinkable to reset to a new reality. It's just a part of an um, evolution and what we leave behind served us well and was part of what brought us to this moment and the next change ahead of us. And for me, that's just made it all so much easier to process. You know, as you were, you were saying that um, change is the fear of loss. And I know for a lot of church leaders, pastors are they're experiencing the loss of, Hey, I haven't been able to, to see my whole congregation in person for X amount of time. I mean, we're coming up on a year now of, of this whole pandemic. Um, and for you, you're working with nonprofits and you're kind of seeing trends of what, of the losses that, um, and not, not just saying like financial, but just more of, uh, you know, we haven't been able to meet in person. We haven't been able to gather as a team. We had this planned that is not happening due to, to the circumstances so how have you, I mean, I know you're working with, with Christian nonprofits and kind of leading them in those ways. What are some of the trends that you're kind of telling them, Hey, we're experiencing these losses now, but here's how to kind of think ahead to the future. Um, maybe that's when things reopen or even um, maybe even in the meantime, here's how to think and not just lead, not just to look at those losses as, Hey, we're not, we're not going to be able to navigate around those, but instead here's how to lead in an innovative way in the midst of this. Well, again, you know, I've, I've been having follow-up conversations with ministry leaders that I talked to right when all of this came down, um, when there was no idea of what was going to come next. And so recently I've been catching up with some of them. And what I'm finding is um, the leaders who more quickly got to acknowledging their lack of control, surrendering the situation completely to God, um, have moved faster. I mean, I know for me personally, when I look back on 2020, it will be the year that God brought me to the place where I completely surrendered any dependency I had on my own competencies. Mm. And that's a very difficult thing for a leader because we become consciously competent, unconsciously competent. I mean, we just naturally do things. But then when you realize that you have no control, even those things don't make sense. So I think the leaders that really just got on their knees and said, okay, God, you, you take control because I don't, I don't have the answers and I can't see the features and you do. They have been able to move, pivot, adapt and accept something new and that it's not business as usual. And like I just said, you know, we kind of go along and we have our pattern of life and we love our pattern of life. And then a crisis hits and it's the pain of that that does move us into a place where we think the unthinkable and we have breakthrough ideas, 
right? So all of a sudden we're going, well, but this is possible. And now that's possible. And it does reset our new reality, which eventually becomes business as usual. And I think when we look at what we learn here and what leaders need to be learning during this time and in the conversations I've had is how do we constantly um, think about not staying in business as usual, but how do we think innovatively and go to breakthrough and not have pain and crisis to bring us there? So um, just embracing that this isn't business as usual and that we don't need the crisis to bring out our innovation and our creativity. And then technology. I think that's been a big thing you talked about, you know, here's the church leaders. I'm missing my people. I haven't Mm -hmm. seen them, but I know stories. Um, I've witnessed what's happened in my own church where through doing online church, we've actually expanded the reach. reach. We've seen unprecedented uh, generosity. And now we're thinking about, all right, how do we bring people in without doing satellite churches and make them really Um, a part of the core community. Um, So technology has transformed all of that. I mean, relationship may feel a little bit different, but as we grow accustomed to a conversation like this where we can get online, God can still work. And I witnessed that at Christian Leadership Alliance when we did the first ever global digital experience. Hmm. I sat on leaders from all around the world and I watched God, the Holy Spirit, minister and move that I often say that I just wore my glasses and kind of ugly cried through all of it because I couldn't believe I got to witness what was happening. But this push to technology, it got accelerated because of what's happened. And I think it's opened a lot of new possibilities. So a surrendering lack of control, recognizing it's not business as usual. How do you get to break through faster? And then really subduing technology for kingdom purpose is accelerated. Hmm. You know, as you mentioned technology and, and this may be helpful, this may be not. So um, maybe, maybe you can shut, shut down this question, but I know when you were at Borders, um, in what years were you at Borders? Oh, I was in that painful period where Amazon became the poster child, not only for the dot-com era and boom, but you know, they happened to be a book rate retailer first. So yeah. I was, I have always been in the heat of technology and yeah. experience that. In fact, the, I, I stepped into my senior leadership role there in 2000 and it, like the headlines on the wall street journal was borders lagging in the, you know, uh, internet space. And, and all of a sudden we were like these laggards because mm-hmm. we were so far behind and here's Amazon, you know, doing all their guerrilla tactics and, you know, trying to push. So I feel like most of my life has been, trying to catch up. And even at Thomas Nelson, and I know that that was true, even at Lifeway Resources, when you thought, well, we could publish books and maybe they're just distributed in different ways. But then we went to eBooks and other formats that are, that just changed the economic model. So um, I've been in the midst of that for over half my life, I feel like. Yeah. And I'm so thankful you, you expounded upon that because that was my question. You're talking about technology. And, and it's, uh, it, it's a disruptor for sure. And just as you were saying, um, book distributors, bookstores, I mean, my goodness, you look around, you're like, what has Amazon done to bookstores across the nation and the world? And there is, you can sense the fear that is there, that you can live in fear of the disruption, or you can say, hey, how can we actually leverage technology? So I know for many, many leaders, 
are saying, hey, there, this COVID has been a disruptor in technology now. So for churches, they're like, half of our people are online, half of them are in person. We're not sure what to do now in this disruption. So for you, you said, hey, I feel like I've kind of been learning through the technology kind of disruption for for many years now. What what have you learned in that experience? And what advice would you give to leaders who are feeling that tension of there's this disruption that's that is changing business as usual? How do they not view it in fear? And maybe view it maybe as how do we leverage this instead? Well, first of all, you have to see it as an opportunity. Um, I'll go back to when I was in my borders days, um, we were trying to understand customer satisfaction and we did this extensive survey and we found that people love to come into the stores because we had all of this content. So we averaged about 125 SKUs books on the shelves and they love to come in because they just want to be surrounded by options. And that's really what we live in today, right? We just, there's so many options, but it was interesting because um, 89% of the people that walked in the store didn't know what they wanted. Okay. So 89% see all of this, but what they, but that they were looking for was someone to guide them. Someone to say, you know, what's your area of interest? Here's where that section is. Here's new titles that are out. But this whole idea of being guided. And I think that's where people are today and where we have a great opportunity because you can Google. I mean, you can Google anything and get like six million searches on anything, right? <laughs> yep, yep. But people are looking for the trusted resources to be the wise guide and to aggregate what matters most. So I think as Christian leaders, that's just a huge opportunity. I mean, that's what we do at Christian Leadership Alliance. And I know that's what um, you do at Lifeway and in Ministry Grid. I think of all those years, Todd, when you were recording content and putting content together and you know, just building the storehouse. And then through that, you were able to direct people on how they could utilize what's in the storehouse to adequately develop people. Like what was the content they needed? You know, what's... What's really interesting is if you, you know, if we go back to the early days before um, we, you know, even coded anything from a technology standpoint, uh, the part that you were involved in was establishing the philosophy and framework. And so we had you, 18 other uh, individuals weigh in on what are core competencies for volunteers? What are core competencies for leaders? What are core competencies for leaders who lead leaders in any, you know, any church and, and who lead a ministry and then finally who lead the church. And, you know, we, the story goes, uh, for those that don't know, we ended up with either 260 some or 280 some, I can't remember now. I need to go back and look. Um, it's somewhere in design to lead. I'm pretty sure uh, Geiger and Peck put it in there, but the long story short with all that was, you know, we were trying to just to do this philosophy and framework model that underlied the technology. What happened was when we released all of it, um, people didn't naturally know what to do with it. And so that's where all the uh, pipeline methodology came in is to say, oh, okay, we need to help people understand that, you know, they're used to a menu mentality. They're used to Amazon. They're used to Netflix and, um, you know, just 
here, here's all these, you know, decisions that, that you can have. But what people really wanted was for somebody who had some knowledge to put a wise, you know, development plan together, depending on, you know, where you were in the church and to say, oh, here's the underlying scope and sequence of this. Here is how this makes sense. And this is, you know, this is steps. It's not just a product or a program. This is steps toward a, a person's actual development. And it's really hard to do that. It's a lot harder to do that than to just film a bunch of videos and throw them up on, on uh, a platform. And so uh, it, it's taken us a while, but I think we're definitely seeing the fruits. And of that. Todd, we're very much like that. I mean, we think of, you know, here's a universe of people that may have a felt need, they're learners, they're seekers. And so we produce content that we hope will interest them and bring them in. And then once they come in, it's opening the door and saying, here's simple points of engagement. Mm -hmm. And what we want to accomplish in that engagement is the recognition that, wow, we just didn't realize what we don't know and that we need help. And then offering them that distinctive pa pathway or the pipeline, the construct that they can go in one door and they can study and grow. And it builds in such a way that on the other side, they can leave and based on what they were able to accomplish, then they can be wise gods and or wise guides and dis disciple other leaders through a similar kind of process. So I think, you know, even in Christ's life, there is that model of development. You know, I think of Matthew 10, you know, that beautiful, here's behaviorally specific feedback on what I want you to do. Um, I've now named you as my disciples, and now you're going to go out two by two. We're just going to stay here local. We're going to talk to our people. And he walked through this series of expectations about what they were going to say, what they were going to do. And then he even said, and guess what? Some people aren't going to like it. Some people are going to like it. And here's your response to it. And that's such a beautiful model of that we can replicate in the things that we're doing as we're trying to raise people up and equip them to be effective, um, you know, leaders within the kingdom. Hmm. You know, you said, it's interesting. You were talking about how many uh, SKUs did you say at borders? 125. Okay. So, you know, you're talking about when you walk in, it's, you want a guide and the, I think it's the book, the paradox of choice, uh, I think it's like why more is less. And when you walk in there and you see all of the options that you have, you actually can't make a decision quickly. And I think for, you know, just as I was thinking for, for listeners, like, Hey, if, if you're a church leader, what does that mean for, for you and your ministry? Um, and, you know, I've been reading a lot about like next steps for, for churches and for you, it's like, if, if somebody's coming into your church, what is it that you want them to do? How many choices and options do they have? Because we can have, paralysis by analysis of like, I don't even know where to go because there's so many options. So um, what's the clear next step? What, what is it that we can give people that it's, you know, one to two options instead of, uh, you know, 50 at, at the time. So I was well, just that popped in my head. And, and I, I just want to say here for people that listen all the time, they may be familiar with where I'm about to go. And that is everything is an opportunity cost mm -hmm. in your church. And now is the absolute best time to say, you know what? This was built on 30 years of church growth movement where 
we needed to have lots of affinity groups. We, you know, said, Hey, basically, if you're a parent, you've got this, if you're a woman, we've got this, these, all these types of ministries. It's not just, I'm not picking on women's ministry. I'm saying that maybe you shouldn't have seven different things, you know, mops and fill in the blank. I mean, just go down the line again. I'm not picking on any particular ministry. Um, but you know, reducing, recognizing that even prior to COVID people only came two or three times a month now versus two or three times a week back in the day, you know, all these things mean that you really have to strip down what you're offering and make it a point to be really clear about your expectations of where people should go for what and making sure that you do have a map in place for them. Um, it goes back to a conversation uh, I was having with Larry Osborne on a podcast and on a couple months ago. Um, and I backed off a little bit, um, but I was talking about the dollar store and looking at, if you look at how the dollar store has done during COVID, it's absolutely amazing. And that's because you just basically, you have the basics and, but apparently that's what people are wanting and needing. It's convenience mm -hmm. because you can swing a dead cat in any direction and hit a dollar store. And it's the basics. And that clarity is so important. I mean, if I go back to that survey that we did, Todd, out of it, I mean, this is good. This is a good return on a million dollar investment we put into doing that huge survey <laughs> is that there were three things that surfaced about things that are satisfying and fulfilling. Mm. And I feel like every once in a while you get a nugget like that and you go, that is a universal truth. Is that just like you said, clarity, the ease for someone to get to something, the less friction that is involved is important. So it's that clarity, it's in the messaging, but also in the experience when I enter in, whether it's online on a website or it's in a store, how easy is it for me to quickly see what it is that I think that I need? So that accessibility is huge. The second one is encountering someone who is knowledgeable or something that's knowledgeable. Now, it isn't that that person, like in the border store, obviously there, not every bookseller had read all 20, 125 books, <laughs> but there is an assumption of knowledge. And it isn't that they have to know in the, min, in the minute the answer, but they have to know how to get the knowledge. So when you think about church, if someone comes in and they have a question, then it's like, well, I can get you that answer. I may not know that answer, but I, on your behalf, am going to get that for you. And then the third component is, the demonstration that we're willing to go the second mile. So if something happens, how do we demonstrate that? Well, we don't, we don't do that here, but I know some other resources. And when they see people willing to go the second mile to serve or to help someone along the combination of those three yield high satisfaction and fulfillment with the experience. And if you get people to that, especially like in churches, I mean, they're going to come back over and over again. On the flip side of that, if we fail once, they may come back again. If we fail twice, we lose them. Mm -hmm. And if you think about church, technology, stores, whatever, I think that's just an universal truth. Because if you put that on 
personally, and you think about your experiences with things, you'd go, yeah, man, that was so easy. I love that. That was great. And they knew exactly what I needed and I couldn't even explain it well, but they could help me satisfy my need, get me where I was. And oh my gosh, they didn't have something that I needed right there, but they told me how I could get it, when I could get it. And those are huge in caring and loving others well, you know, through our, through our, through our business, through our ministry and through our churches. That is very helpful. And like you said, it's, it's a universal truth. And, you know, I think I can't remember who said it. I know Danny Franks, uh, he talks a lot about guest services, but, uh, and Andy Stanley might've said this too, is the, the gospel is offensive. So when somebody comes to your church, try to make sure that nothing else is. Um, so even when you're saying that, like the guest services, the hospitality of your church, it should be well thought through so that when somebody comes in, they do have that response of, wow, they really have thought about, you know, I would have this question. They, they went the, the second mile here. So that's just really helpful reminder there. Well, Tammy, we do have five questions that we, we are going to ask okay. you. Um, so we're going to, we're going to hop in here. And just as we were talking about you, you have why start now. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Why start? We're going to see if we can get through the five questions. Let's talk about the different types of loss. Uh, that, that we, because there is, I mean, I'm joking, but not joking. There is, you know, uh, when you're talking about loss there, there, the, the things that Tammy pointed out already, there's the potential loss of identity. There's the, the loss of, uh, familiarity with the way I do it. There's uh, knowledge. There's so many different things. I guess that, that, that can be for another podcast Chandler. Go ahead and go. That'll be a bonus episode, <laughs> right? Bonus. right. <laughs> well, Tammy, I, I just, as we shared in your bio, you've, you've been in a, a lot of different roles and I'm sure there's been influences in, in different roles as well. So when you look back, who or what has been the greatest leadership influence in your life? Oh, that's, that's hard when you say, you know, like the goat, what's the goat? Um, yep. I um, It's hard for me to say that I could assign that to one individual. And I know that everybody'd say, oh, please just don't say that it's Jesus or, you know, I mean, what else beyond (laughs) that? You know, it's like, what's your disciplinary? But you know what? I have to go back because I think, first of all, you know, I had a grandmother who made sure that I fell in love with the idea of God very early on. And so she grounded me in such a way, but at seven, I knew what I wanted to grow up and do. And I never wavered from it. And I never even changed my major. I mean, in college, I knew what I was going to do. And I was so ambitious for a dream of a life better than the one that I had because my family, you know, they were, you know, very modest in what they could do. My father was a policeman. My mother had to work. I mean, it was just, it wasn't, there were a lot of things that we couldn't do. But my grandmother grounded me in that time because she took care of me. And then when I went to college, I was all about getting the the high paying job that this is what I'm going to do. And this is going to be my permission. And I dreamed my life. But then the day after I graduated or really 45 days before I graduated, I, I got a Bible and started reading it. And the day after I graduated, I went to my brother who was a believer. And, and I said, I don't want to live another day without Jesus Christ in the center of my life. And that point changed everything about the rest of my life. And I abandoned all of that ambition and really became Christ's focus. And, and he did an excellent job of discipling me in those your early, early days. And in fact, I thought, you know, okay, I'll go to Africa. Where do you want me to go? You know, just that, that zeal that you have, but God didn't take me out of everything that he had equipped me for. 
So his hand was truly on me. So I did end up going into business and I went into department stores, but it was a path I never wanted to take. It was with an organization that I had not intended to continue to work with, but I found a mentor there. And for 15 years, um, he saw something in me that I could not see in myself. And even when my father died, he stepped in for my husband and I, and just kind of became like a father in guiding us along. But he always had these quips, like he would read things. He was actually an English major and a teacher that ended up going into business, but he always had a way of doing that. And the thing was, it was all about change because in the department store business, we were going through rapid change. I mean, I worked for Federated department stores for 22 years and I would say 21 years of that. It was like always working for a different company with mergers and acquisitions and buyouts and consolidations, but he was huge in my life. And then when I left there and I went to borders in 1980, I met Ken Blanchard who I geeked out on in the eighties with the one minute manager and <laughs> yeah. organizational behavior. And so he was like this iconic figure, but he had had an encounter with Jesus. Mm. And I was speaking an event with John Maxwell. I know I, I had no idea what I was doing there. I, I, sh- I should have just been taking notes, but it was for a, a YPO group, a young president's organization. And John had in fact invited me to do like leadership unplugged. And then he said, Oh, by the way, Ken Blanchard's going to be there. And I went, I, I, I think I was like starstruck. I was like, oh, I've never met him. I've read everything. And I loved all those stories. But after it was over at the YP event, YPO event, it was at the time of Sarbanes-Oxley when corporations Enron happened and we had to sign all of the financial documents. And John and, and, um, and Ken were doing great with the big leadership. But then somebody asked the practical thing, well, Tammy, this one's for you. So what does it feel like to sign those financial statements? And I went on and then that led me to being a believer in Christ, my values, my value of my word, integrity, and that that shapes, you know, my responsibility towards these things. And then after it was over, John Maxwell said, oh, YPO, that's like not a Christian organization. But people lingered after that because there was a hunger to learn more. And then, and then, Ken shared his testimony about me and how in all these years of research that he has done, he realized that everything he learned about leadership, Jesus already had done. And then that was a big shift because all of a sudden I began to study the life of Christ, not only as my savior, my redeemer, my, my Lord, but as my leadership model. So that was very pivotal in my thinking at that time. And then at CLA, I had a board member who um, was the chair at the time. And I often feel like Mary, I would like sit at his feet and he was just a watershed of wisdom. So I think my grandmother, that early boss, just that experience with Ken Blanchard and then that board chair have probably shaped and influenced my thinking most as a leader. You mentioned, you know, before, I guess it was in college and even before that, you're like, hey, I I had this ambition where I wanted to be a a high performer. I wanted to be somebody who was leading in that capacity. And then boom, you know, the Lord saved you and then kind of shaped, shaped what that looked like. And I feel like there's this almost stigma within Christian. And maybe this is a feeling that I've had. I've, I've shared with other people as well. It's like I have this ambition is it ungodly for ambition to want to be in that type of leadership? Like how, how, when you were wrestling with, when you came to, came to Christ and then how did you feel that God refined that ambition and made it godly ambition that is still 
honoring in him while also wanting to lead out in those ways? Well, when I said to my brother, um, I, I didn't want to live another day of my life without Jesus in control of it. And I even said to him, I don't even know what that means yet, <laughs> but that's just, I just know that's what it is. Um, he threw me in the car and we went to his pastors. I got down on my knees, prayed all the prayers and scheduled the baptism. He was not Baptist. So this was on May 18th and the baptism was set for July 27th. And then I just took time. I, I had an apartment set up and a roommate that was going to meet me in St. Louis I had this dream job and I called and I said no, and it sounded really crazy. And then I just waited on God in that period. Seriously, what, what is it that I need to do? And as I said, you know, my brother went hard at work at discipling me and just getting me grounded in the word and biblical principle. And then it was really a humbling thing because I ended up calling Federated back and I said, Hey, I know that you guys offered me a job in college, but things have changed. And, you know, so is there something that available? And immediately they said yes. But I had no idea that I was, that that timing was perfect. And that actually it was putting me in a position with the changes that they made that I could even move faster or that there was more opportunity for me. But I was so... I was so entrenched in, I just want to love people. You know, I want to tell people about Jesus. And so I had this rapid acceleration and I did love it. I mean, there was that innate thing as I loved that business and that I was mm -hmm. wired for it. And, you know, I had the acumen for it. So I was having a great time, but I was also sharing Jesus. And I looked back after three promotions and I looked back and I thought, wow, that was really fast. And then the Lord just I had shared everyone in those areas of responsibility. I had planted the seeds and the people that were there. And so it was the early stages of understanding business as ministry. Mm. So I, I didn't wrestle with it and I just kept trusting God. And then, and then he would move me. I would say he moved me because the ambition changes before I would have said, I want that next job. What do I yeah. do to get that next job? And what Jesus did, he said, you have today. And how do I serve today? And how do I do everything that I do with excellence for his glory? And because I was about the day, then people would tap me on the shoulder and they said, Tammy, we want you to go here. And I'd go, what? Like me? Are you sure about that? Um, even a funny story when I was told that I was going to be the next president of Borders. They are that day, they, you know, all this happened. They came in and they said, oh, by the way, we're going to give you borders.com hmm. because it was like a separate skunk work thing over here. Cause that's when all <laughs> that was happening. And I sat there and I actually said, I can't believe I said it. I go, now you realize I don't even know how to make a floppy disk work. <laughs> <laughs> I just feel like you need to know that. And they said, well, we'll find someone else to work the floppy disk. We want your thinking on this. You know, this is our strategy. <laughs> But I think that was just it. It's like when we really try hard to stay true and follow Jesus and depend on him, then he moves you, he moves you along. And, and, you know, the scripture tells us, you know, if we're faithful with a little, then more is given. Yeah. And um, I saw that in my life. In fact, the dream, my ambition that I had for my life was one day that I would run a great big downtown department store. And that happened in 1989. That was nine years after wow. God's plans were so much more than even what I thought. 
So um, I think it was that shift to the day to day and Lord, how do I serve you versus, oh, I want that job. I don't think like I just didn't apply for jobs. They just people said, you've done that. Now we want you to do this. And in fact, a couple of times they said, well, I don't think I really want to do that job. I mean, I like the one I've got. And they've said, we're going to pay you more money. You don't have to relocate. You show up there on Monday. <laughs> like, <laughs> now I'm good. <laughs> okay. You know, so what do you do? But I think yeah. that was it. It was that day to day versus mm. I have my eye on that prize. That's, that's a very helpful distinction. And I remember, I think it was on the very first five leadership questions podcast. I, I was listening to it. It was Todd and Barnabas interviewing John Piper and a, a quote that uh, John Piper had was, I think it was like, what would you tell your 20 year old self? And it was keep the room clean and God will open the next door. And I think so often we're, we're in the room, you know, whatever that job is, like you're saying the day to day. And if we're continually looking what's ahead, we're not going to focus on keeping the room clean. So I I love how you said, you're like, Hey, I just put my head down. I was faithful in what was in front of me. And and then the Lord opened up doors and allowed me to whatever was next. He was going to guide me into it. So very helpful. I will say when the doors opened, it also threw me into a new level of dependency on God. Mm. Because if I would have focused on really, you want me to do that? I could have been like eaten up with fear, but I knew that in order to step into that, that I needed God to show up. And let me tell you, there were times when I would be in situations in new positions where I'd say, okay, I know you're with me. I need you like now, (laughs) like now I I need you now, you know, in this moment. Um, So God's, you know, been really faithful to keep me in that place too. Yeah. I was, I was on a conversation with um, Mike Kelsey at McLean Bible church and we were talking and he was saying, so many leaders are scared of risk. And, and the reason is, is we're scared to fail. Like that's the in, inherent reason where, you know, when you take a risk, we're nervous, we're going to fail. And then we're going to fall flat on our face. And you were saying, Hey, I was scared stepping into something new that I was going to fail. What would you say for, for leaders, especially now, like they're taking risks that we're just talking about innovating. How do we try things new? Well, anything with innovating and new is a risk. Um, so what, what, what advice would you share to somebody who's, who's trying to take those risks, but is scared of failure? Like how has failure in your past actually made you better as a leader? Um, well, I, I had a hard, fast failure early, which was great. Cause I think when we fail earlier, when we don't have as much responsibility, there's a lot of lessons that fail we can learn in that time. Fail early, <laughs> fail yeah. early, fail forward, you know? Um, because those are things. In fact, when I think of some of my failures, I think, well, that failure prepared me for a bigger crisis or something more that, um, you know, that, that I was going to encounter the in the future or that I did. But that fear thing is when I catch it, I'm quick to check in my spirit and say, if, if I have fear, I have to remember like who I am in Christ. And that fear, you know, again, is over and over again, we're told not to fear. And so how do I choose beyond that fear to say, I'm going to choose to trust God. No, even, even recently when, when we had to flip our conference to a virtual, we were the first Christian organization to flip to a virtual. I had no idea 
But a miracle happened, a call came, and all of a sudden I had a free digital platform that I could do if I would build it in the air with them, you know, work with wow. them on that. And I had no idea, would everybody flip? What would we do? How would this work? There was no game plan. Like now you can Google and find the top 10 ways to have the best virtual event, right? And everybody knows how to do it and everybody's a pro, but there was yeah. none of that in that moment. And I said, all I knew was that God answered a prayer that I had in the one hour after I found out that that conference wasn't going to happen, that that phone call came through and I was stunned. And I knew that I had to call the board and I had to, I had no idea what I was going to do. I said yes to building a platform in the air. I mean, who am I? Remember I'm the girl that <laughs> still doesn't know how to do a floppy disk. And I just said, God, you're going to do something. The theme of the conference was transform. And I'm like, well, you had much bigger Hmm. transformational ideas in mind when we did it. And then I watch because, you know, when the pressure comes on, things are tested. So the Alliance had never been tested, but we flipped the entire faculty and they all just sat in their homes and they did their presentations and, you know, people attended and, and it was this huge victory, but, but as if that wasn't enough, when that came to an end on a five-year plan, yes, a five-year plan, global, was in 2024. Hmm. But, but in one day, at the end of one meeting, I came home and knew that God wanted us to take everything that we had done, build on it and go global. And in 30 days, we added 60 pieces of content. We added 54 live events. All of a sudden I had 10 global partners. Wow. And we ended up in 30 days from idea to going live. We reached leaders in 40 countries. And 20% of them had a Christian population less than 5%. So we were equipping Christian leaders in Yemen and Pakistan and Bethlehem and China and all over the world, India. And it was so astounding, but it was so God. I was just trying to hold onto the back of the boat and not like fall off when we hit like <laughs> a big wake. But Again, I'll go back to my brother. He said, you know, Tammy, this decision to follow Jesus, your life will be filled with thrills, romance, and adventure. Mm. And there's no greater fill, thrill than choosing not to fear, but to enter in, in this incredible relationship with Christ and to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. There's no greater romance than to be loved the way that he loves us and how that grace abounds. And even when we make mistakes along the way, he course corrects us. And is there any greater adventure in saying yes, before we even know what he's going to ask us to do. Hmm. And I've personally witnessed that not only through my life, but this year it's been, you know, an accelerator zone. Yep. And now I'm just, waiting for everything that's happening next. And again, he's moving faster. So everything that I had on a timeline, he said, no, now is the time. And we're witnessing this move of God. And I don't think I'm alone in this. I think in Christian ministries everywhere, we're just saying, this is a time that's been entrusted to us as leaders. So don't fear the time that God has called you to because he's got a place for you in his master redemption plan and, and he'll get it done, but be faithful. Don't miss the adventure of being part of it. 
That's that's a great place to end, Tammy. And thank you so much just for sharing that and just spending time with us. This podcast could probably go another <laughs> two hours because I know both Todd and I, there's so much for us to discuss with you and just so much wisdom that you have to share. So thanks for giving us your time today. And thank you for listening. We hope this has been helpful to you and your leadership. If it has, head on over to iTunes and leave us a rating and review to help other leaders like yourself find the podcast. And we'll see you next time.